Misfit Toys. Welcome to episode 674 with my guest, Leah Rudick. Uh, and enjoy, by the way, <laughs> me mispronouncing her name during the interview. <laughs> Adding an N to her name. Oh my God, I'm such a doddering old man. My name is Paul Gilmartin, and uh, you're listening to the Metal Illness Happy Hour, which is a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads. Uh, I am not a therapist, and this show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's probably pretty obvious, but I like to say that anyway. Uh, I got an email from a guy who calls himself Dis Disco Cuck. Uh, for those of you old enough to remember the disco era in the 70s, that is a play on uh, this horrible song called Disco Duck. Uh, thank you for the chuckle there. Any comments to make the podcast better? He says, consider giving Patreon supporters access to the survey archives. And what he is referring to there are the results. Um, currently, they are not publicly uh, available. But I have, uh, I like your suggestion. And so for the uh, Patreon $10 a month tier and above, you now have access to uh, all 11,000 plus Shame and Secrets uh, survey results. Um, and you can either look at them. Um, there's two views that you can look at them. And the one I view it, uh, as when I read them on the podcast is the individual response. I don't know why I'm explaining that because I explain it on the Patreon post, giving people a link and the password to it anyway. Um, and we are up to 851 paid members. We are halfway towards a little over halfway towards our goal of 1500 Patreon supporters a month. Um, which, based on what the average contribution is, uh, is what we need to get to to break even so that I can donate to my SEP IRA at the end of the year and maybe go on a vacation and go to, the, go to a nice restaurant for, uh, for dinner. And thank, thank you to those of you who have uh, become Patreon supporters. You can do it for as little as a dollar a month, and then based on the tier um, you donate to, there's all kinds of different different rewards. And uh, if you go to Patreon.com/slash/MentalPod, you'll uh, you'll see all of that. This is from the voice in your head survey. And this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Sid. What are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself that everyone thinks I'm hideous and don't deserve anything that I have or have worked for? Uh, I love how uh, the word hideous is a word that we tell ourselves about ourselves. But do we ever use that word when we're describing somebody to somebody else? Oh, they're, they're, they look hideous. No, we reserve that one for ourselves. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by Raina. And uh, what would you like to ask Paul? Do you have any tips on how to survive Christmas spent home with family? I'm going home to my parents for one week and I'm so anxious about it. I have a very difficult relationship with my mom. How do we cope during holidays? Say the serenity prayer on repeat? 
doesn't hurt. I don't know. It's just something about Christmas. It's just a week in the year, but it symbolizes so much. End of year wrap up uh, and a how actually fucked up is this family coming to the surface because of the high pressure on being the very opposite of fucked up, sad, and resentful. Um, I'm going, I've got a couple of uh, surveys filled out along this theme. I imagine everybody who is ramping up to, to go home to dysfunction is feeling the same way. Um, and I'll kind of touch on it in the, in the uh, next survey, but... Um, you know, my first thought is, how about trying something different? And uh, any, any comments to make the podcast better? I love it when you play music. What about ending every episode with a one to two minute take of your music? Would be awesome to let the thoughts drift after listening to an episode. It's so soothing, your music, exclamation point. I appreciate that a lot. And um, I'm going to include the song that was underneath uh, a survey I read in last week's episode because I'd kind of like you guys to hear it um, on its own. So indulge me if you would at the end of the episode. I'll play that. And the song is called Floating Pig. Uh, this is from so Sophia. Uh, the same survey, Ask Paul Anything. How do I continue relationships with relatives after they've witnessed me having an episode of mental illness. I left an emotionally abusive relationship recently, and after physically leaving my partner, uh, can, and after physically leaving my partner, like there should be a comma there, my partner continually sent me suicide threats. The relationship ending, along with this self-perceived responsibility for their well-being, put a lot of stress on me, which triggered a huge OCD episode where I would incessantly search the internet and ask my family for reassurance that I wasn't going to jail for leaving my partner. I couldn't sleep and was constantly anxious and also constantly checking that my partner had not hurt themselves. I became afraid of looking at everyday items that they had mentioned they'd used to hurt themselves and started having a difficult time taking care of my hygiene. My family had never seen me have such an overtly identifiable OCD episode, so I showed them some resources along with trying to explain what it feels like. They were taken aback, unsure of what to do, and I imagine concerned about me. However, the way they treated me has caused a rift to the point I no longer want to see them. Examples include telling me I'm circling the drain, that I was a basket case, that if I don't straighten out, then I should go to a hospital, said in an angry, threatening way in order to make me suppress my symptoms as opposed to treating the cause, and most harshly, that I am a, quote, burden on my father, my mother, my brothers, and my friends, unquote. This one phrase is what I think about when I have bouts of depression. It makes me feel so alone and broken that I tried to confide in them and was met with harshness. Is it worth reconciling them on any level, I ask myself. I don't even want to spend the holidays with them because they made me feel so embarrassed and ashamed, Lacking empathy and showing no desire to understand or believe my condition was anything more than me behaving badly. 
It could be that I decide on new boundaries and ways I will interact with them in the future as the new normal. I'd appreciate any insight and advice you might suggest. Uh, thank you so much for being a wonderful support to me and many others in dark and uncertain times. Well, you're very welcome. And uh, first of all, a, a little tough love right off the top. Uh, you wrote, I don't even want to spend the holidays with them because they made me feel so embarrassed and ashamed. If we don't, if we don't self-advocate for ourselves, um, it's very easy to believe that people are making us feel a certain thing and that we have no control over it but if we don't advocate for ourselves we are allowing them to make us feel certain things um i don't know if that makes sense but i don't know if you're in therapy um but i would highly highly recommend it uh and as far as like the ocd and uh, the other stuff, you know, that that is stuff that is over my pay grade to um, to kind of weigh in on professionally, other than for me to say, please seek the help of a mental professional and consider taking a break from your family to get some momentum going. Um, you know, one of the things when, when we are raised in... A household where emotions aren't discussed, where there is uh, what they what they call you know emotional uh, poverty or emotional illiteracy, um, we mistake crumbs for a banquet. We don't know what right sized needs are, and how can we go about getting them met if we don't have a change of scenery and find a tribe where emotions are freely discussed and encouraged. And there is support. Um, and yes, boundaries are, are huge, huge. And who knows, there might be some codependency. I mean, the fact that you were um, interpreting what your ex was doing, which is incredibly manipulative. And that doesn't mean I don't have compassion for them that they were feeling suicidal, but saying, if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to kill myself is an incredibly selfish and manipulative thing for somebody to, to do. Um, you are not responsible. They are an adult. Uh, so who knows, there might be some codependence, some love addiction. Uh, you mentioned OCD. So those are all thoughts off the top of my head. Um, we have the right to take breaks from people who are not healthy for us. We don't have to do it forever. We don't have to figure that out, but just a thought. This is from the love survey filled out by, uh, my ADHD vagina. And they write, I love finding new methods of decompressing that actually work. When other people's pets come up to me, even though they don't know me, learning a new recipe, moving through life unfazed by things that used to hurt me. I love it when I find reasons to be optimistic. I love my friends. I love gay affirming churches, meeting new lesbians. I love people that enjoy horror movies and I love having lucid dreams that end well. I love those. They're all, all awesome. 
<laughs> this is uh, uh, from the Voice in Your Head survey, and this is filled out by those of you that are familiar with uh, Mitch Hedberg's comedy. Uh, he was such a genius, and maybe my favorite joke was his... The, the name this person uses is Dufresne Party of Two, and that's a reference to one of my favorite jokes uh, of his. What are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself? I keep telling myself that I'm a terrible person. I have invasive thoughts about wanting to be sick or hurt so, so people feel sorry for me and give me attention. I tell myself that I am not meant to become a therapist, that I am lazy and fat that no one is really trustworthy, that I will never feel better physically or mentally, and most resonant of all, that since I am so ungrateful for all of the good that has happened to me, I am better off dead. Well, those are some dark, dark thoughts. And I hope, I hope you have a tribe that can help, help you see those for what they are. I mean, the fact that when people fill out the voice in your head surveys, I think there's usually a pretty good chance that they can see them for what they are. But, you know, understanding that those voices are mean uh, and not the truth doesn't necessarily make them go away. Uh, this is from, why is it not showing what the name of the survey is? This is also from the Voice in Your Head survey, and this is filled out by Raina. What are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself? The voice in my head says it's too late, that I'm too old for that, that it could have been a good life, but I screwed it all away because of my mood swings and extreme low self-esteem. It tells me that I will never find that guy who is both attractive and a good friend and that I won't have children. The voice in my head says that Christmas will be difficult because in the last seven years it has in various degrees. The voice in my head says I could have been so many great things, but because of my highly critical mom and also my born, uh, my being born with sensitivity and melancholy, I simply did not become anything but a middle-aged single woman who's contemplating suicide once a month and whether to start taking antidepressants the rest of the time. Uh, and that's not the end of it, but I just want to weigh in. Um, why not give him a shot or at least go see a psychiatrist? Um, you know, I, I think that meds should be the last house on the block and for the, me, they are. And, uh, I find that the side effects of me not taking meds are much, much worse than any side effects I've experienced, um, with the meds I currently take. I've had some horrible side effects from other meds that I then stopped taking, in particular Abilify, although I know that drug may and uh, work for, for other people. But um, all of that is to say, what do you have to lose? Uh, then I have my little dog, a cocker spaniel, and she interrupts this voice with her mere presence. I know that I want to give her the best life possible and a good Christmas too. Ah, love. I love when this survey gets filled out and then there's a positive voice combating that negative voice. Any comments to make the podcast better? If you ever feel tired of making this pod, I hope you get back at it, maybe with a twist. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, 
if I took a break, that I would come back and the podcast would be a, a bit different. I think that's what you're saying. But thank you for that. And uh, this is from the love survey filled out by uh, Plant Nerd. And they write, I love eating a perfectly ripe fruit or vegetable. I love the way it feels when I actually remember to ask myself what I need when I'm feeling overwhelmed or shitty. And then I actually listen and give myself what I need. I love your pat podcast and how it always makes me feel a little better and more connected no matter how I felt before listening. I love feeling seen and understood. I love managing to listen to just the right album for the mood I'm in. Oh, I love that one. I love thunderstorms. And I love the sound of it raining outside on the roof when I'm inside. Oh, I love those. Thank you for those. Uh, this is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey. And this is uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself simply uh, the letter C. And she uh, deals with a lot of issues, depression, anxiety, compulsive eating, PTSD, being a sex crime victim, um, physical disability, living with an abuser and anger issues. Snapshot from her life. I won't allow myself to cry in front of anyone. I cried once several years ago in front of my parents because my dog died. But crying for that was okay. Anything else makes me extremely vulnerable. Even as a child, I ran off and hid when I cried. If I did cry, no one came to comfort me anyway. Being alone when I cry is all I know. Sometimes I wish I could break down and bawl in front of someone, tell the person how much I'm hurting inside and let the pain out, how much I don't want to be there. I'm not suicidal, but I'm tired of being here. Boy, have I felt that before. And what a rotten place that is to be. Um, some people know I don't want to be here, but I don't think they know what to say. I don't discuss with them my feelings. I don't know. I know others hurt inside like me, but I feel like no one will understand. I don't know. Uh, man, would you benefit and would a support group benefit from you? I think you could find your people there and there's issues uh, that you struggle with that I think would probably mesh uh, perhaps with a 12-step group or if you go to NAMI.org, uh, you may find a support group there. Uh, NAMI is N-A-M-I.org and it stands for the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, some more loves from Plant Nerd. Finding new leaves on houseplants and watching my plants thrive. Burying my body in sand at the beach. Getting into bed with clean sheets when I've just showered and put on clean PJs. I love doing that after I've been in the, uh, the workshop and all the sawdust and all that stuff. Been in the. Uh, some of you ask for updates on my life, and uh, I've been in the wood shop, trying to supplement my uh, my uh, income deficit by making uh, furniture, and I've really been enjoying it. So I've been out there anywhere from six to eight hours a day, and uh, I'll I'll share some photos of the stuff that I've made recently, and I haven't figured out how I'm going to go about selling it. 
yet, but I'm going to start posting pictures on uh, on Patreon and maybe on social media of some of the end tables I've, I've started making, and I'm really proud of them. Um, I think they're really beautiful, and they're uh, designs that I that I came up with. Uh, look at me. I'll follow myself in a, in a right-sized way. Um, continuing with the loves from Plant Nerd. Uh, being in a room lit by lots of candles. Putting on my fleece adult onesie after a hard day and or when I'm cold. Couch naps. Remembering or finding a favorite food item I forgot I bought at the grocery store. Putting my feet in a river and watching slash feeling minnows nibbling my feet and ankles. That is such a great one. I don't know if I've ever experienced that. I mean, I've put my my feet in a river and I love that feeling, especially if you've been hiking for hours. Love seeing the bats flying back and forth over my head when I'm on a walk at dusk. You might be the only person who enjoys that. I love feeling the bats get tangled up in my hair and sink their sharp teeth into my skull. I love the smell of wipe of wipe of wild ripe blackberries in late summer in Oregon. I don't know if I've ever smelled wild blackberries, but I imagine that's a that's an amazing the uh house that I grew up in had a forest backing up to it and sometimes and there were railroad tracks where like in just in the middle of these stones these wild strawberries and they were tiny but they were so sweet and so flavorful and I used to love coming across them uh, I love finding a baby garter snake slithering along and I love bumblebees sleeping on my garden plants in the evening those are awesome. Thank you for those. Let's take a quick break and see if we have any sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Factor. Do you need a break from cooking, but you don't want all the garbage and fast food? Well, Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, can help you eat well for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all your holiday to-dos. Skip the meal planning, grocery shopping, chopping, prepping, and cleaning up and get Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals delivered to your door. They're ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. Choose from 35-plus chef-crafted meals every week that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences. Head to factormeals.com slash mental50 and use code mental50 to get 50% off. That's code mental50 at factormeals.com slash mental50 to get 50% off. And then finally, this is an awful some moment filled out by Brianna. And uh, she writes, The past two years, I've had three hospitalizations due to worsening depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts. I'm fortunate enough to live in a large Canadian city with a large public and well-respected mental health hospital. Although my experience in the months, months I stayed there 
was relatively positive, there was one experience that is definitely awfulsome. One night, I was in my room winding down before bed and waiting for the nurse to come with my meds. I heard a knock at the door, and a very cheerful nurse came in and sat next to my bed. So, she said, why are you here? Um, depression and some other stuff. Hmm. Do you think that be, uh, do you think that because you aren't married and live all alone? Um, awkward laugh. I think it's because I have major depressive disorder. Look, if you don't get a man in your life, you're going to keep coming back here again and again. And eventually you might choose to end it all. Too stunned to speak and now silently crying, I quickly downed my meds. Well, have a good night, and I hope to see you tomorrow night, she waved as she bounced out of my room. I started to panic as I was afraid I was going to spiral, but I quickly called a friend, and through both tears and laughter, I explained the preceding conversation. My friend comforted me and made me laugh at the absurdity of her comments. He also helped me write up a formal complaint to file with the hospital, which I did. He stayed on the phone as I drifted off to sleep. In that brief moment between wake and sleep, I realized that although I may live alone, I'm really never alone. I have a chosen family who would do anything and everything for me, and that's enough. My consciousness might be disintegrated heavy weighted blanket on my brain symptomatically and i can't think straight things present themselves for a reason and i can't see straight i couldn't even drive the first movie that i remember watching with him post-traumatic stress when i was like five years old was pulp fiction <laughs> and moral injury i would act out the scenes gonna go to hell or... with my barbies <laughs> the greatest source of our suffering ordinary is where all the good stuff happens is our unwillingness to experience and accept our emotions it is very hard to heal and dark isolation. I developed compassion. It is in connection and community where that happens. The process was nearly unbearable. Like, I'm going to have to kill myself. We'll be right back after this. <laughs> I'm here with Leah, very funny comedian, <laughs> uh, sketch artist, would you would you call that? Sketch uh, performer, writer? Yeah, my um, my background's in sketch. I started in sketch in New York, and then I transitioned to stand-up. But Where, where did you uh, study in New York? I, or did you just go I up? I just went up. I mean, I did stuff at the pit, mostly, the People's Improv Theater. I was working for about a decade with um, my comedy partner, Katie Hartman. We had a sketch duo called Skinny Bitch Jesus Meeting. <laughs> <laughs> the moms love it um oh, yeah <laughs> and um so we we performed all over new york mostly at the pit that was kind of our home base but we traveled all over too i, I want to plug your uh special before we forget it's called spiraling and uh it seems like a very apt title given some of the stuff you talk about on stage you, t you talk about overthinking things and anxiety and a really funny clip <laughs> about you <laughs> worrying about what the cracker barrel waitress thinks of you and the to, to go box and, and you could you hear people in the audience like slowly going oh my god i so relate to the overthinking and worrying that i'm a terrible person or people think i'm a terrible person over the most innocuous things yes so um where do we begin 
You were raised in Cincinnati. Yeah, I was raised in Cincinnati in the in the suburbs. Um, and um, I left. I went to college in New York. I went to Sarah Lawrence. I was in New York for about 10 years. And then I moved to L.A. with my husband and have been here for about almost 10 years. So, And do you prefer L.A. to New York? I imagine there's things you miss about New York. Yeah, of course. I think New York is a better city, um, but I, I like it here. The transition was really hard, um, just because it's it's such a different different way of le- living. I think I felt really isolated when I moved here, and my um, you know my my comedy partner, and she's still my writing partner. She she's still in New York, so that was um, it was really hard. I didn't. You know, the pace of L.A. is so different. And and everything's so spread out. It's like you, there, there's almost nothing that you don't need to get in your car to do. Yeah. Whereas New York, it's like you don't even need a car. Yeah. In New York, you kind of live on the streets. And in L.A., you live in your car. Yeah. So, yeah. So you were raised in, in Cincinnati. And what was uh, kind of uh, family like? Family was good. It was, uh, you know, traditional, but my parents are still married. Two brothers. I'm the middle child. Um, I had a good childhood. I, uh, I had a really, really good childhood. I, um, you know, I was, I was, a um, an anxious child. Uh, I feel like <laughs> riddled with anxiety. But um, can you can you give us some uh, moments, some vignettes that you think uh, kind of paint paint the picture of that? Yeah, I think I was just um, I was obsessed with being like perfect, being a good student, being being perfect, getting straight A's. It was all self-imposed. Um, and um, yeah, I would just like freak out if 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 things weren't perfect by my own standards like grades grades yeah Yeah. i one time i like um i had straight a's and i like that was so important to me and i got a um a b in chorus (laughs) because i'm a i'm a terrible singer uh even though i desperately want to be a good one and it like i i uh i like lost my mind and like my my mom went and talked to the choir teacher and it was like a whole ordeal um was your mom trying to get them to she was change trying to get them grid? to change it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't remember if, if they changed it in the end or not but it was it was high drama and where where do you think it it came from the the belief that everything had to be perfect you had to be perfect that's a, that's such a good question i don't uh I don't know. I feel like I was just born that way. <laughs> and are any of your siblings that way? Not in the way that I am. No. Yeah. I wonder if it's kind of that classic middle child thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I got a lot of it. Att- like I, I, because I was the only girl, I got a lot of attention. Like, um, you know, they would, from I was all, from my parents. Yeah, yeah. I was always called the black hole of attention, which, <laughs> Which maybe says something. <laughs> yeah. Did that ever hurt your feelings, them calling you that? Um, I think, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think I was called sensitive all the time. 
which I, I think is like is like a, a common thing. Like not a compliment. That not a you're compliment. It's like sensitive. you are you are way too sensitive. You need yeah. to just like relax and like take a joke. You know, like it was. I feel like that's sort of how it was. Like the the nineties in Ohio, and like you, it wasn't. It was like my family just teased each other that's how like we showed affection and um so humor was a currency humor was a currency uh and you know i had a an older brother who was kind of a bully and i i like it was always like you need to toughen up and not like cry all the time did there did there ever come a time where you looked at your sensitivity not in a negative way yeah, I think recently, uh, only recently, I think that I um, have come to like. It's crazy the idea that that sensitivity is is a negative. Like, and 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 really the fact is. is, we're all sensitive. Like, if you're not sensitive, you're you know, like who isn't who isn't sensitive? The people who were calling me sensitive were very sensitive. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times it's somebody that doesn't really have the the language to discuss feelings yeah. and so it's just so much easier to go well i'm uncomfortable so let's just make fun of the situation totally yeah and um yeah i mean i i didn't i in like i started going to therapy um only about five years ago um with my husband we started going to couples therapy and i was so uh i was so scared to start therapy because i like growing up in my house it was like you know, therapy is just for like crazy people and you all therapists are crazy. And <laughs> literally like my mom at one point, I told her that I was thinking about it and she's like, what, like, what do you need a therapist? That's what you have me for. Like <laughs> that alone means you need to that go alone to means, therapy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so it's been, um, and it was like, it was hard for me to start therapy because I there were so many things that I didn't have language for. And I, you know, my husband and I started going together and he, he's just like good. He's like a natural for therapy. He's, he's very, he's, he's Canadian. He's very in touch with his emotions. He, uh, he's good at it. (laughs) And with me, it's a lot of like fits and starts and, and sort of silence as I try to figure out, the the words to describe the feelings um it's it's not it's not natural i think one of the things that can be really difficult in therapy especially for people who have a perfectionist streak is the fear that we are going to misrepresent something not portray it accurately and it's mm-hmm. going to ruin mm-hmm. the the process yeah. is, is that something that rings a bell for I you i think deep in my core i have this fear of being in trouble like, and that's kind of the perfectionist. And so it's, I was really scared going in that like, I was going to get exposed as like a bad person and I was going to get in trouble for that. Like it, it really like, I, I feel like it really, when I really, and we, my husband and I joke about it all the time. We're like, so often I just, I like my go-to is to get defensive and be like, I didn't, it wasn't me. I didn't do that. Like, I, I'm so afraid of someone thinking that I did something bad. Were um, mistakes weaponized in your house growing up, or fodder to to kind of needle people? And I'm this is not me trying to say all the source of it is your 
parents who yeah. weren't perfect. And yeah. I'm, I'm just you're curious about where that comes from or if that's just something no, you were it, born with. Um, no, it wasn't weaponized. I mean, it was, um, no, I think it was just, it was just something I was born with. I mean, you know, my older brother was like a troublemaker and he got into a lot of, he had a lot of like, he got into a lot of trouble and like growing up. And I think that I, uh, I was a very polar opposite to that. But do you, do you feel like yours was a reaction to, I don't want to cause this, this kind of kerfuffle that's making yeah. me uncomfortable yeah i think i just am like i don't i don't know what the what the seed of it is exactly but i think that like conflict and confrontation and um the idea of someone like yelling at me i am like so sensitive like i i will it's it's like one of my biggest fears that like the the lengths i go to to people please so that I don't have to have someone be mad at me is like so deep. And <laughs> I, th I think it's so common and that's not to minimize yeah. it. It's just yeah, to say course. you are so not alone <laughs> yeah. in that. Yeah. Yeah. Can you give us, are there any moments that you can recall where you, you went to a, you know, you remember going to a length to, avoid someone being mad at you especially if you were kind of betraying your authenticity or your needs oh god that, i'm sure um uh, i don't know <laughs> you don't want me to get mad at you <laughs> please you don't, don't get, come up please with don't get one. mad at me if i don't have a good answer um a time when i i don't know i don't know that's okay. <laughs> Can you describe what you feel in your body when someone's starting to get mad at you? Um, or what your thought process is? I, I, it's, I get scared. I get scared and I just want to like retreat and um, just like hide get under the cover like it's it's like a fight or flight like it's yeah. a it's a flight yeah do you, do you feel like flushed face tight stomach uh yeah sweaty palms yeah. heart beating heart beating yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 i'm um, always curious to know when when people are experiencing something that is kind of emblematic of a, a pattern of struggle in their yeah. lives what they physically experience because it's it's just kind of um fascinating yeah to me. yeah sort of a an all-encompassing like I, I can't i can't focus on anything else i can't think about anything else it's just like this all-encompassing um terror <laughs> it's a good that's a good word yeah and in the moment are you able is there a a, a voice in your head that is saying this isn't that big of a deal we don't need to freak out or is it just you are in the headlights. I try. Yeah, it's it's just the headlights. I mean, I try that. The, I I do try that self talk, but it doesn't really work. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't really work. Sometimes, like uh, you know, there's some stuff that helps breathing and um, I get journal journaling. Journaling doesn't help. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I appreciate your honesty. 
<laughs> I was watching this um this video on anxiety and um and it was this this idea of like because I wake up in the middle of the night with anxiety a lot and can't fall back asleep and this like um the it, term stacking where you you sort of are just where you know when you start to um snowball with the i don't know if this happens to you where you wake up in the middle of the night and the anxiety just snowballs and you're like this i upset this person in this conversation oh, yeah this other email they're mad at like i can't believe or i I've sent that wronged. email that's when i get uh, as oh, well yeah not you um not as much getting wronged it's more of the things that i've done to people right. that i've yes. embarrassed myself or um upset someone so i imagine it's pure horror when you text someone and they don't text back within 24 hours. <laughs> or no. It's funny. I'm actually yeah. such a, I'm a terrible texter myself. So I, I, uh, people are often like mad at me, um, because I haven't texted back, but it, it, that comes from the same place where I'm just like, I spiral because I don't know the exact right thing to write back. And then I let it sit and then it just like leaves my mind and, you know, and then the anxiety builds on that and, you know, the, the days lead into weeks and, then I just throw my phone out the window, you know, like, <laughs> so is there exhaustion from, uh, the fitful sleeping? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Talk, talk some more about that. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I, uh, I, I mean, I used to sleep super well, but I think it's also just as you age, your sleeping gets, and, um, it, it is like, I, I'll wake up and I'll be up for three hours. It usually is like that exact amount of time where I wake up at two to three hours. I wake up at three, three thirty, and I'm up until six. So initially, you're able to fall asleep. Yeah, yeah, I fall asleep fast. I and uh, and then I wake up and it's just like the just the spiral, the mental spiral. Um, but but I I was watching this video about it. Uh, it's this this term stacking, which is like just acknowledging that that's what it is. That it just is like your brain stacking anxieties on top of each other. And somehow that helped me just giving a, a phrase to it, where I can just say to my brain, "Oh, you're doing this thing stacking, and it's not uh, it's not real. Like it's you're just it's just your brain working against you." A tool that I think is is great for that. I learned this in support groups. It's called pulling the thread where let's say you have some, some fear about something. Um, you know, let's say you're heading to a, a party where there's going to be a ton of people that uh -huh. you don't know. So the first thing, uh, that, that I would ask myself is, okay, what are you afraid is going to happen? And so the first thing that would pop into my head, it would be that I'm going to be in an awkward conversation. Uh -huh. So then I say, okay, let's say you're in an awkward conversation. Then what is going to happen? Well, the fear is that uh, I'm going to look stupid uh, because I won't know how to contribute to the conversation. Uh -huh. Okay, let's assume that happens. Then what is, are you afraid is going to happen? Well, then I'm afraid that People are going to talk about me and talk about what a stiff I am socially. Okay, then what are you afraid is going to happen? They're going to talk to each other about it. And then what? Yeah. And then I'm going to lose my friends. Yeah. And then what? And as I pull this thread, I realize how fucking ridiculous yeah. they are. And does, does that sound kind yeah. of what stacking yeah, totally. Well, it it is, or it's, is it it's like that. Things? It's different things. It's different okay. things. And it's like, um, <clears throat> Just like, just the acknowledgement that like, it, it's not, 
it's just like your brain playing a trick on you and uh and and it's it's like one thing leads to another leads to another but it it is just calling it that a thing that is like you know making it like inanimate almost like it's just different blocks and um it's it, it's okay it's fine it's just the anxiety and not the reality right do you have difficulty um assigning priority to different things that you're juggling in your life oh yeah talk about that oh massively i mean i th- we all do these days right with with our like i feel like our brains have all turned to like ADHD, but, um, I have such a hard time focusing. Um, and I, I think it's like a lot of it is, is prioritizing, uh, prioritizing the wrong things and procrastinating on the things that matter because I'm like, Oh, well I should be doing this thing for this other person. Um, or like, I don't know. I, I have I have a hard time uh, prior like managing creative and like administrative. Um, you know, it's like why well, I need to like sit down and write for two hours today, but also I have to like book this flight and I have to um, get back to these. I have to update my website. Like I, yeah, I. So is, would it be fair to say that you become overwhelmed by the number of things and you kind of don't know where to begin or is there dread around specific ones you're like i'm going to do these other things because even that though that might be more important there's some reason that i don't want to do that it's both it's like yeah it's definitely both like but to the dread i think yeah like Mm -hmm. the dread of it's it's always like the dread of actually like sitting down and 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 creating something as you're talking, half of my brain is listening to you, and the other half of my brain is going, why did you call her a sketch artist? That's the person in the courtroom. You look so stupid. It's a sketch performer, writer. Oh, my writer. God. That's so funny. I did not even, uh, didn't even track that at all. I was like, yeah, I am a sketch artist. <laughs> I'm terrible at drawing, but <laughs> I knew what you meant. But I feel like your brain is doing what my brain does. Yeah. You're going to look stupid and everybody's going to inform each other how stupid you are. He called me a sketch artist. I was like, didn't know what to say. It was so awkward. So uh, talk about uh, marriage counseling. Were there specific things, if you're comfortable talking about yeah. it, that, that that brought you in there and... Was there an arc of dealing with those um, where things got better or things got worse? It's it's one of the best things that has ever happened. Like it it helped us so much. I uh, it's it's crazy. Like it, you know, we just had very different communication styles, and uh, I like I shut down, and he didn't. And he he gets very active, um, and uh, I I sort of uh, interpreted that as like a kind of aggression. It it wasn't ag- aggressive. He's not it's aggressive. Frustration. It's frustration, I'm, I'm, and it's like it's like uh, like wanting to solve and wanting to get to it. And my my go to is to just like shut down and go shut the door. Um, and I like 
I all I felt um, I was really scared to do therapy because I felt like the the fact that I did that meant that it, I, there was something wrong with me that my like defensiveness and my wanting to like crawl into a hole and not like I I just get so overwhelmed with conflict so um but like being in a we f- we found a really great therapist and um it, it's just I feel like it we both um it, it's so nice to be able to to solve conflict in a neutral it's so space good. it's so good and it can bring you closer together it's brought us so much closer together I feel like I mean we have we have a very strong relationship he we he's the best person i like i i it's so good so what has the the growth if any i imagine there is some mm-hmm. what what's that look like uh for me it's um it looks like sitting in the discomfort of conflict and um acknowledging the the defensiveness in myself and um and also just being able to communicate like okay this is like this is instead of like things escalate and i go slam the door it's like sit with it and then say i am having this reaction and i need to go be by myself for 10 minutes and i will come back when i'm ready and him just like that kind of agreement and him also like understanding that it's it's just like this is my makeup and this is what i need right um and him not freaking out because because i'm just like slamming the door and making him feel like you know um like shit <laughs> um so it's just so much like it just like um it's it's empathy for it's learning like the empathy that like just because one of us has this reaction that is just like kind of innate in us and it's it's sort of like how we are raised to react and behave with conflict it doesn't mean that that the other doesn't like we don't love each other it's it's uh it's just like we're just different and that's okay yeah i think understanding what your partners kind of go to what their script is in yeah. their in their head can be so important and for so many of us we have no idea how we come off to our partner yeah when there's conflict yeah 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 i feel like we kept coming up against this thing where i was like i feel like you're yelling at me and he he wasn't like he he it, it wasn't like yelling but it was uh it was just and he didn't see it and and he didn't feel that and we were able to like talk through that in therapy and he's really worked on that too even though he never felt like he was he was yelling like he his understanding that it was it was hitting me like that um was enough to like to check it to 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 acknowledge and to like be like okay i i'm trying very hard right now to just keep my voice super neutral <laughs> It's hard when you're frustrated. Yeah, it is. Because I think one of the things that can kind of go through your head when you're a partner, at least if you're a future trip or catastrophizer, is you tell yourself they're always going to be this way and it's never going to get better until I make them see. Yeah. Which is, I mean, how does 
the person receiving that yeah. not shut down or yeah. get defensive. Yeah, yeah. But that's why having a having someone else be like, okay, this is what you're doing and this is what you're doing. And it's fine that you're both doing that, but like, just know that it's not coming from a place of like not loving each other. Right. And yeah. that nobody's bad. Nobody's it's in just, trouble. It's, it's just maybe time to upgrade the tool. <laughs> yeah. That's what I like to think of recovery, therapy, whatever as is, no, you didn't fail in this thing. It's just you chose a tool that could use an upgrade that might not have been ideal. So yeah. forgive yourself if you need to make an apology to someone, make an apology, try not to qualify it and yeah. you know, minimize what it is and make a note to self yeah. that next time if this comes up, let you know, let's let's try this other thing that that might be yeah. better. Yeah. Or punch a wall. One of the or two. Or punch a wall. Yeah. That can feel good too. Do you prefer drywall or plaster? <laughs> I don't even really know the difference. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, plaster's old school. That's, oh, okay. that's that's like if you see a house from the 30s. Which one's easier and, to punch, plaster? Uh, I I kick. Oh, okay. You're so a I'm not sure, and I wear steel-toed boots, so I blow through both so of them like butter. You can, yeah, anything, good. anything. Good. Somebody near me. Yeah, kick them in the shins. Windows, yeah, love windows. I just love the <laughs> pop and then the shatter. The idea of just like high kicking a window with your steel toe boot is very fun. <laughs> I have never punched a wall or punched a window. Really? I and I have many friends who who have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have. I haven't either. I, I don't. I my, felt like it a hundred times. Yeah, yeah. If I just I, cry. At a girl. <laughs> I, sometimes I wish I could cry instead of going to the place of anger because I think for a lot of people, men especially, yeah. is I think we have the same fear as as other people, but there's that male kind of voice in our head that is like, do not cry, go on the offensive take control yeah. and be angry rather than... Yeah, because you're taught culturally from a young yes. age to to not cry yes. so so you have to filter that into a, another emotion which yeah. is anger yeah yeah and i think one of the first things that i remember being in counseling this is years ago and instead of shutting down the best i could do is to say I feel like putting my fist through a wall right now. I'm uh-huh. so frustrated and I'm so angry and I don't know what it is that I want to say. And that yeah. was a great place to start because I didn't attack her verbally yeah, or shut down, which had been my choice before then, which is there's not an open marriage. Yeah. That's a huge step. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that I, I really, that resonates with me. Yeah, <laughs> Just being able to say like, just say what say what it is right. instead of just slamming a door. And I didn't even realize I had the right to say, can we pause this? Yeah. Because I'm confused and I'm angry. Yeah. And I don't want to talk right now. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Same. Yeah. The idea that you can be like, I, this will be best for everyone if we can just take five minutes and breathe in separate rooms and then come back to it. Yes. It's great that that's an option. Turns out you can do whatever you want. You can. You can. It's 
it's amazing how so many times in our lives we feel cornered and we don't realize that mm-hmm. we have the autonomy mm-hmm. to do it. But so often it involves taking the leap, being willing that someone might not be happy with you. Yeah. And making that choice. And yeah. I mean, isn't isn't that part of becoming an adult? It it should be. I mean, mm-hmm. it's hard. It's terrifying. Yeah. Because they're going to talk. They're going to get mad at you. You're going to get in trouble. And the next party, they're all yeah. going to point at you. They're all going to... And then... <clears throat> and then you're done. Yeah. Look, Mr. Selfish is here. Yeah. And then sarcastically clap as you enter the door. <laughs> My living nightmare. My living nightmare. <laughs> what What else do you uh, struggle with, if uh, if anything? Uh, I, uh, anxiety. Is that, I mean, that's sort of what we've been talking about, but you know, I have so much anxiety. I had, I was, I was, I called my brother before I came here and I I was, I was, I was having anxiety about doing this podcast and I was like, I don't think, you know, I don't think I'm, I was having some like imposter syndrome of like, I, I don't think I have, like, I'm anxious about not having enough, um, like mental health stuff to talk about. And he was like, do you hear yourself right now? Like you are spiraling like you are the most like mentally unwell like (laughs) he was like the fact that you are like having like intense anxiety and spiraling about not like not having enough anxiety is so crazy that's your laminate to get into the show (laughs) just a picture of you with a scrunched up face yeah hanging on a badge around your neck oh okay yeah welcome I was like, you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're so right about that. Um, (laughs) because it just wasn't like, I feel like it, it wasn't, it it wasn't something that I realized how like deep my struggle was with it until like kind of recently. (laughs) Like, yeah, I mean, I, I did that, the joke that, 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 sorry, that you, um, reference about my brother telling me that I should get on meds and me being like, I don't need it. And then spiraling is true like he he got on he got on lexapro like we have very similar like brain chemistries i think and he got on lexapro a couple years ago and he keeps being like we are siblings we probably have very similar brain chemistry like you should do it and my like resistance is it runs deep talk about that what what are the the resistant thoughts uh like it it's just like if i'm i'm not uh like there's there's something wrong with me if i need to be medicated i mean there is <laughs> <laughs> it just it's, it's like such a deep like you know the way that i was raised to be like the like antidepressants are so bad for you and was that said out loud in your family? Yeah, yeah 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 yeah, well, yeah. i can see how that it fuck with you yeah like when my brother got on uh got on antidepressants he was like he t- it took him a long time to like tell anyone <laughs> and what was their reaction they were you know at this point it's like they're they i don't think that they l- loved it but they were fine like they're they're fine they're cool <laughs> they're cool with it <laughs> in your mind what might the the picture that you paint if you were to go on them be 
that someone, whether it's your family or not, would say or think? I think there's just this like sense of like that I know was like passed down and it's just because of like the the stuff that I was told that like I can I can handle on my own. Like I'm I'm okay. I can handle on my own. Like and, it's a crush. and like it would be like a weakness, I think, is the is like truly what, what I feel. Um and I know that that's wrong. <laughs> but and yet like You're the exception. It's okay for other people. <laughs> They're not weak. It's not a crutch for them, but you're super woman. I also just didn't, um, I don't think that I really ever acknowledged or understood how like intense my anxiety is, um, until like recent year, like very recently. Um, and just having it pointed out by like the people that I'm closest to, like my brother and my husband and just being them being like, Oh no, you have like way more anxiety than a, than nor than a normal person does. But it's, I'm still just like, eh, <laughs> is there a part of you that worries that your creativity would be dulled if you got rid of your anxiety? Um, Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, By the way, which I personally think is a gigantic myth. For sure. I I do too. I mean, I know all of these things rationally, but it doesn't change that like, um, that like deep seated fear that is just like not rational. Um, I think that my, I mean, my anxiety hinders my creativity. Absolutely. Like it, it, I, it, it definitely does. It, it keeps me from like, you can't really be in a creative flow when you're experiencing anxiety. You kind of have to like, just, um, get to a place where, where, where it's like not at the forefront. Right. You're not overthinking paralyzed by Fear yeah. of not doing it right. Yeah. And I, I don't know if those things ever go away, but for me, anxiety medication helps quiet them enough that, yeah. that I can get the work done and, and take chances without being like, oh, this is going to be a catastrophe if it's mm-hmm. not good enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's what everybody says. I mean, that's... that's... The, we- the weak ones. The weak... <laughs> The pussies, the, <laughs> the weak ones. No, no. I mean, no, no. I think it. I don't know. I don't know. I like. I can't. I, uh, <laughs> One of the things, and this is not me trying to to get you to go on meds. I just I'm saying this um, because this was my experience with it. It, because I've always wanted to get off my meds. I've been on them for 20 years and uh-huh. I've tried many times going off them and it's a fucking shit show yeah. of depression and debilitating anxiety. Yeah. And and it's always been against the uh, counsel of my psychiatrist. Yeah. He's never said, you should go off these. Let's give it a shot. And one of the things that helped me get some acceptance around it is to say what are the side effects of me not being on them mm, yeah 
Because there have been side effects sometimes, you know, maybe groggy waking up in the morning or Mm -hmm. libido affected or stuff like that. But the the side effects for me of not being medicated are gigantic. And that that helped me make that decision. So for anybody who's having that battle in their head, maybe just add that to the to the mix of the the pros and the cons. Yeah. Yeah. That I mean that is that's a great way of putting it. I think that for me I'm I I feel like I'm in the space of like just starting to acknowledge this about myself. Um you know, I uh <laughs> stomach is growling so loud. Sorry about that. No, no, no. I'm terrible deep inside. That's what you hear. It's the, that's the yeah. meds. Yeah, that's the, the meds. The growl of immor- immorality. To, yeah. <laughs> um I grew up really like so I grew up reading self-help books. Like my my mom was really into like new age spirituality. Um Grew up going to like psychics to like fix all the issues. Um, And there was always this sort of mentality of like, uh, just think positive, like that think positive and um, you can like change your mind and it's fine. And there's no, the darkness is, it's not there, you know? It's so interesting that that your mom would view meds, or at least did view meds the way that she does, but views a psychic differently. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> she loves psychics. <laughs> now, my feeling is whatever works whatever for you works. to get to a better place. Yeah, yeah. Except what your mom's doing; she's an idiot. <laughs> Of course, I'm kidding. <laughs> Hello, Mrs. Rudnick. Or is, is Rudnick your... It's uh, Rudick. Jesus no, Christ. it's... I... It's fine. Everyone does I, it. I have the file named Rudnick. <laughs> it, it it should be Rudnick. I'll change it. <laughs> well, you're a sketch artist. I'm a sketch artist named Leah Rudnick. <laughs> no, no, please. Please. It's not... A problem. <laughs> I love that these things are coming up in the in the interview. The the quote unquote mistakes. I mean, just like in that moment, I could just feel like lightning shoot through my body. Like you are so lazy. You are so inconsiderate. No, oh my god, you're so old. You're none of those things. You're none of yes. those things. You're so thoughtful and. Uh, keep going and insightful keep and going. aware and present let and... me get a more comfortable chair <laughs> don't stop uh is there anything else you'd like to uh to talk about um oh, i don't know i feel like we've covered a lot yeah yeah this has been fun I've really enjoyed it. I'm really glad our, our paths crossed. And again, your your comedy is fucking great. Anybody listening, um, huge following on TikTok and Instagram. The name is Leah Rudnick. <laughs> Remember the N? <laughs> or just Google sketch artist. Uh, especially your uh, videos of wealthy woman. And those seem Thank to you. have gotten the most traction. Yeah, that's really the thing funny that's satire. Sort of took off and gave me this 
following has yeah. been awesome. It's, it's awesome. And your special is called uh, Spiraling. Yes. And people can find it where? It's on uh, Apple TV, Amazon, Google Play, everywhere. And people can follow you on Instagram and TikTok at? Uh, at Leah Rudick on, in, on TikTok and on Instagram. It's, there's an underscore. It's at Leah underscore Rudick. And it's L-E-A-H-R-U-D-I-C-K. Uh-huh. Yeah. You rock. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I am such a jackass. Many, many thanks to, uh, to Leah. Let's take a quick break and see if we have any sponsors. This is from the Shame and Secret Survey, and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself the Runty Twin. She identifies as bisexual. She's in her 30s, says that she was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Yes, and I never reported it. I woke up naked in a friend of a friend of a friend's house after one drink with no memory of the night. Oh, that is not good. I was so confused and just quickly left before anyone else woke up. I didn't realize what happened until a couple of days later. I was at brunch with a girlfriend and she asked me how the party was the other night and I started crying and said I didn't want to talk about it. I still don't want to talk about it, but I have with my therapist. Good for you. Uh, She's been physically abused and emotionally abused. When I think of my life before the age of five, I think of a golden honey summer day. We were poor, but we were always taken care of and always loved immensely. My mom died unexpectedly when I was five, and my dad died in a lot of ways, too. He remained, he remarried a couple of months later. I think he was terrified to take care of five kids by himself and didn't know what to do. We were raised Mormon, and I think he also felt pressure to provide a godly mother to his kids. He unfortunately married a woman who was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and who refused to get any kind of treatment. She got pregnant on the honeymoon and her child was the golden boy while the rest of us were second class at best. My twin sister was her second favorite and I was her least favorite. The abuse ranged from locking up the food in the house for her and her son to public humiliation to extreme neglect. His kids would steal food and toiletries from our grandma's house. Uh, I think she meant as kids we would steal food and toiletries from our grandma's house, the neighbors, and sometimes the grocery store. If we didn't have laundry detergent, in parentheses, she had her own for her and her son, uh, we would have to either tell our grandma we needed some or steal from a neighbor. Then we had to come up with a story as to how we got it. Neighbor so-and-so was getting rid of it because they found out they are allergic to it. If she ever found out that my grandma or anybody else had bought it for us, we would get in trouble, and whatever it was would be taken away, never to be replaced. Wow. Wow. Um, Any positive experiences with abusers? It's interesting to look back on my life and try to find any positive experiences with her. I tried so hard to make her love me like she loved my twin. I tried to be the perfect girl who was perfect parts, clean, quiet, out of the way, and complimentary. Any positive moments I had with her were a backhanded compliment or just a situation that she would use against me 
later, e.g. I just cut your hair two weeks ago the way you asked me to and now you can't even keep it clean. You can't keep anything clean because you are just a dirty girl who obviously doesn't respect any of the things I do for her. She didn't buy a shampoo and I hadn't stolen any lately. Guess who now buys (laughs) hygiene items in bulk? When my twin and I were teenagers, we moved in with my grandma who was granted legal guardianship. For some reason at this time, my stepmom started to neglect her son. I hated him growing up, but now he would call me crying because he hadn't seen his mom for a couple of days and didn't know where she was. I would pick him up and buy him food, hygiene items, and school clothes. She hated when I did nice things for him, which made me want to do them more. Her neglect and hatred built a wonderful relationship between me and my little brother. With all of this said, I know that these abuses are not nearly as significant as as others. Wow. That is some serious minimizing going on right there. And so it's hard for me to admit that I went through trauma or that I was abused at all. Oh my God, what you experienced is so fucked up. But through therapy, I've learned about its significance on my life, which is real. This is a reminder for me and anyone else. You don't have to have physical scars from your abuse to have it be abuse. Yep, so true. Darkest thoughts. I would like to tie up my stepmom in front of a large number, in front of a large mirror, and give her a superficial cut for each memory I have of her hurting me and my siblings. Then I would give her a little electric zap every time she denied each of these circumstances, which would be all of them. I want her to see herself exactly as she is, which is a disgusting, pathetic human being who doesn't hold any power. I want to kill her and bury her in the middle of nowhere, and nobody would really care that she is gone and all of our lives would be better off without her darkest secrets. Fortunately, I am at a point in my life where I don't feel a lot of shame about the things that happened to me or my responses to them. Through a lot of therapy, I've learned I did my best through my situations, and I'm quite open about my past, my pain, and my mental health. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I want to have someone fuck me really hard and rough and immediately follow that up with cuddling, loving words, and maybe even crying. It makes sense to me because having someone be, quote, mean, unquote, to me feels like a comfortable version of love. But I know what I want love to look and feel like, and that's the cuddly part. Have you shared these things with others? I've shared everything with my therapist, who I love very much. I've seen her off and on for years, and she just seems to understand my vague ramblings and helps me reframe my shame in a very understandable way. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel okay. It's kind of odd to try to wrap up all of the abuse in a little box, especially where some of it was so nuanced. How can you properly explain the multitude of fears you have when you are desperately trying to make someone love you who is verbally berating you about all of the details of your dirty underwear in front of all your friends at your birthday party? Wow. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? If you were raised by someone who was abusive, I'm so sorry, my dude. Let me give you an internet hug. Of course, 
you have trust issues, and of course you don't react to normal situations the way other people do. You are not responsible for other people's feelings or actions, and you don't deserve and you deserve all the love that the world is trying to throw at you. Try to be open to it and try to be nice to yourself and take care of yourself. You do not need to make yourself small or not have needs. Eat some healthy stuff, drink some water, and go for a walk. Be the sweet, loving parent to yourself that you deserved. So well put. So well put. Thank you so much for that. Any uh, thoughts to make the podcast better? Uh, she writes, cast me to hell so that I can feel validated. Listen, you don't fucking boss me around. Here's what I do. I come, I scoop you up. I toss you to heaven. Yeah. You will be the only person in heaven with a big sad face. How's that feel? And then just when you think you've been cursed, I come, I grab you. I cast you to hell. And then you find out that hell's really not all it's cracked up to be. And you take an Uber back to heaven. Does that make sense? Am I making sense here? This is from the love survey. This is filled out by our friend Plant Nerd. I love suddenly remembering there's a new episode out of a favorite podcaster show. I love watching and listening to the leaves on the trees blowing in the breeze on summer afternoons and evenings. I love when the dragon flies and then the bats come out and start flying back and forth above me in the garden near dusk. I love getting a new mix CD from my brother. We're going CDs, are we? Lady old school. I love laughing through tears. That's a good one. I love eating a salad made with vegetables I grew. I really love that one. I wish I, I wish I knew how to grow good uh, good vegetables. I wonder how hard it is. I'm going to put that on my to-do list and uh, look forward to staring at that for the next uh, nine years until I finally erase it. This is from the Shame and Secret Survey. And this is filled out by a guy who calls himself Scott on the Island. He identifies as straight. He's in his 20s. He says that he was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I was on a second date with a girl I had met through a dating app. Our first date had been several weeks earlier. We made out a little bit and then went our separate ways. She asked me to hang out again. Weeks later, I agree. This time, she was much more aggressive with me, touching me much more openly while we were walking in a park. We eventually get back to where she parked. In parentheses, I drove to her place. We left for the park in her car. And she said she was going to take me back after we make a quick stop. She pulls into a Starbucks. She said she used to work at that has since closed off that has since closed off the highway. It has a parking lot between that building that is empty and secluded. I think she just wants to make out some more. Fine by me. Instead, she gets on top of me and does my pants. I tell her that I don't want to have sex, that I don't have a condom. She ignores it and continues to have sex with me against my will. After a minute, I pretend to climax so she will stop. She does. I dress myself and put my seatbelt back on. I'm silent for the drive back to her house. 
She tries making small talk about her family. I still feel used by it. Uh, I would say that that definitely counts as a uh, sexual violation. And uh, anybody who's going, well, you, you're stronger than her, that, that has nothing to do with it, you know. There can be emotional coercion. Um, it, it has nothing to do with being overpowered uh, or, you know, physical strength. Uh, he's been physically abused and emotionally abused. Um, I've been physically abused by my mother. She hit me as a child a handful of times and broke a wooden spoon on my back on one occasion. Throughout my childhood, I was yelled at almost daily, threatened if I stepped out of line, punished over minor infractions, and constantly told that I had to live up to all of my mother's impossible expectations or else be seen as less than in her eyes. It hurts me to this day as I still live with my mother and she is unable to recognize how I feel about some of the things she did and said to me when I was younger. She doesn't understand my depression and to this day will make me feel bad and different about how sad I am. And you know, as I'm reading that, I'm thinking, you know, one of the things that, that you often hear from from people um, and and even mental health professionals is that somebody who has been abused as a child, um, perpetrators can pick up on that, you know, without that person saying anything, just either by their body language, see it in their eyes, you know, maybe it's an apologetic tone, a kind of a people-pleasing vibe, and and they are attracted to that. And I and I really wonder, the 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 woman who violated you, if she p- picked up on that. Um, or if you were just a random dude to her. I, I wonder if, in other words, if she has a a type. Um, or if this was just a random one-off. Any positive experiences with abusers? She is my mother and is, is capable of being loving more often than she is cruel. However, she just doesn't get mental illness. She has never had a drink, a puff, of anything, much less a chemical imbalance that will alter her emotional state. I think she may be more of a case of someone who doesn't see the full picture but critiques the piece anyway rather than an out-and-out abuser. Who am I to say? Darkest thoughts. I'm constantly thinking about being dead. The weight of all my depression and anxiety finally lifted off of me. On my drives home from work, I think about how easy it would be to just veer a little to the left and into the median of the highway. 70 miles per hour is fast enough for a quick death, or so television has told me. I think a lot about how quickly I think I will be forgotten by most of the people I consider to be in my life. My mother will use it as an excuse to feel down for a little while, just like her son used to feel before it will eventually become about her and how it has affected her. My brother and sister will feel bad about it for a while too, but will eventually move on because they were never really that close with me to begin with. He was always so distant and unhappy. My father, who I haven't spoken to in six years, will likely take it the hardest. I think I get my depression from him. 
My friends will all move on after a few weeks like I was never there in the first place because the last few years, I haven't been much fun to be around. He stopped drinking in college, stopped drinking coffee and eating fun foods a couple of years ago, never really wanted to go out to the bars with us. We barely saw him anyway. I'm ashamed of how often I think about all these things. I'm mostly ashamed of how I will never have the nerve to act on any of my suicidal thoughts almost out of spite for these fabricated ramifications my suicide would have on the people around me. Uh, man, buddy, I'm so sorry that you are struggling and a little tough love here. Um, this is not minimizing the hurt you're feeling and the depression, but there's self-pity in there about what you think that people think of you. And it's a lot of black and white thinking, which self-pity loves. And I would encourage you to find a way over to self-compassion from self-pity. Self-pity has it self-pity's twin brother is usually in action it loves to stay frozen so that we can just continue with our black and white thinking but if we're continuing to get help to try to get help to try to connect and to do what we can to ease our mental illness to manage it which can take months if not years a lot of two steps forward one step back then the door can crack open for self-compassion because we're not stuck with only our black and white thinking and we're not isolated from other people. Give the universe a chance to hug you. I know that sounds cheesy, but I have felt like you have felt before. And I'm so grateful that I have kept my feet moving even when I didn't want to get out of bed. Sometimes it was just taking a shower. I know that phone feels like 500 pounds. But there is more out there than what your brain tells you. And especially when you're depressed, decisions are so hard. Everything feels so overwhelming and confusing. Just try, try new things, whether it's a therapist, seeing a psychiatrist, just start trying different things. Darkest Secrets. I went to college to become a writer. Since I have graduated, I haven't been able to finish a single thing aside from poems. I keep telling myself that I will write every day, and for a long time I wasn't writing at all because of how defeated I felt in the one area I chose to spend the rest of my professional life. I don't even work in the field and can't seem to get myself to where I need to be either because of finances or fear. I want to encourage you to go to the forum and there is a thread there where you can post your creativity. Um, I don't visit the forum very often, but I know there are some people who are active in there and that might be a nice place to, to feel seen and validated and to get some support and to, to get your creativity out there. Um, 
Another darkest secret, I tried to kill myself recently. I told my ex-girlfriend this after we'd gotten back together the first time she broke up with me, and I regret telling her this because I think it is what caused her to break up with me again just five days later. We got back together because she told me she made an honest and impulsive mistake. After taking a while, I told her that just before I had met the first time. I took a handful of sleeping pills. I think there's a typo in there. Um, I've had severe sleep issues since high school, uh, not with the exact intention of ending my life, but with the intention of doing whatever it takes to fall asleep after too many nights unable to rest. I think she took this as manipulative on my part to get her to be back with me or something. I don't know. But when she broke up with me the second time, it was over the phone, and the last thing she said to me was, you need to get help. And it feels fucking terrible. You know, it would have been better if she had chosen. I mean, you need to get help in a way. That's the unvarnished truth, but perhaps uh, could use a a little massaging. Um, You deserve help. You deserve help. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I don't know if I have any powerful sexual fantasies beyond a stable and healthy sex life with a partner who loves me. Is that an answer? It is an answer. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Why don't you love me? Why did you stop loving me? Why did you lie to me about so many things when I was younger? Why did you lie about being married? Why do you hate me? What did I do wrong? Why are you the way that you are? What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for a change of scenery. I have plans to move out. And this survey is from a, from a while back. I'm way behind on the surveys. I have plans to move out in March of 2019, and I hope uh, they carry. I wish for a relationship with someone who will love me and support me and who I can love and support in kind. I wish to feel less sad on a daily basis, and I wish to do more of the things I used to enjoy before I stopped enjoying everything. Have you shared these things with others? I have. I've shared the moving away thing with friends because a couple of them will hopefully be going with me, or I won't be able to go at all. The rest I can't share with my friends without feeling like a massive burden to their good time, uh, more so than I already do at least. Bring it up to family seems out of the question entirely. Um, how do you feel after writing these things down? I write my negative thoughts down quite a lot because I can't stand them to live in my head, and it is my thought that if I can write enough of them out, I maybe can finally write something I enjoy. So far, no luck. 10,000 words this week, though, all of it self-loathing. And that's, you know, I want to go back to the part about trying something new to um, just to try to shake things up a bit. Um, you know, you're, in my opinion, just from what you've read, you're, you're stuck in an echo chamber and it's really hard to get out of that. And I understand that you don't want to feel like 
the stuff you're sharing with your friends is too heavy, but you know, I'm going to get on my soapbox and maybe a support group. Find your tribe, man. And then finally, these are some loves from Obi-Wan. And they write, I love a leisurely bike ride at night on a late spring dusky night. I love the very first time you kiss the person you truly like and are attracted to. That's a great one. I don't know if we've had that one before, and it seems so obvious. I love when my cat rubs his head against mine, aggressively but affectionately. I love the smell of the fall in New England. I love crab cakes. And I love when there's a huge snowstorm and the outside is completely white with snowfall. There are no cars on the road and the whole world seems quiet. Inside, you are warm with the Christmas tree lit. Love it. Love it. I think I'm going to do a Christmas tree and some Christmas lights this year. I haven't in six years, five years. It's time. It's time. If you're out there and you're, uh, you're feeling stuck, Christmas is around the corner. Boo. I hope you find your tribe. And uh, mm, my heart goes out to you. My heart goes out to you. Now I feel like I'm ending the the podcast in a really kind of generic way. I'm judging the shit out of myself. So I'm going to wrap this fucking thing up. Gracie, what do you think? She just looked up from the pillow. And Gracie as well. People ask about her when they uh, fill out the surveys. They want more updates. I don't know what to say. She's gone, she goes from the pillow to the other room. I take her for a walk. She eats. She farts. She gets a treat. Lather, rinse, repeat. Oh, and lots of kisses under the flannel blankets uh, in the winter. If you're out there and you're feeling stuck, you are not alone. Thanks for listening.